I, I can't tell you how blessed I've been this morning. I, I hope you listened uh, to the, all the words of uh, the songs that we, we sang and the ministry and music. Uh, usually, uh, Pastor Dave and I sit down and talk about what music we're going to use in the morning service. It was unusual that we didn't plan this service together. But the Spirit of God did. I mean, you just think about the words in these, these songs. We, I wish we would sing had sung them at the end because they'd been much more meaningful. I wish we would have had uh, this ministry of music at the end because it had been so much more meaningful. I, I, I know what I was going to say. I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, because uh, God has used you in my own life this morning. God is good. And again, I think of that little boy and his grandfather that ran over. I just can't get that out of my mind. I pray that they would come to an understanding if they haven't already. That there is a sovereign God that's in control of this world. It's not just our mistakes. It's not just our... Decisions. There's comfort in knowing that. Not blame to be hurled to God. But to realize there must be some purpose, there must be some rhyme, there must be some reason. That God is working out. Thanking God for sparing this child's life. Asking God that this child would be stronger and healthier and get back to some kind of normative situation. Uh, This morning, as we turn to the Word of God, it's important in life to monitor our progress. If we have small children, we want to monitor their progress what percentile of weight they are in as compared to other boys their age. We have daughters, what height are they compared to other girls their age. When they're off to school, we often want to know what reading level they are at, how they are doing, how are they progressing, are they ahead, are they behind, what kind of progress is is happening. Well, we want to know about progress. But how do you measure spiritual progress? How do you figure out how I'm doing? What measurement is there to say, well, you know, I was here five years ago and now I'm here today. Uh, We have in our house and uh, going up to the uh, stairways from the basement measurements of where people were at different ages in their life. What can we point to to help us understand the spiritual growth that's taking place in our lives? Well, well, Jesus is concerned, of course, with growth growth in the life of the the, uh, disciples. And Jesus gave the disciples a pop quiz. We looked at it last week. Who do people say that I am? They said, some say that were John the Baptist, some Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They get an A. Okay, they understand what's going on around them. They understand what people are saying and... What's happening? Then Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so he gets an A. Said the right thing. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Making progress different from those that are around about him. And then Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, you're going to be very instrumental in building my church. And we looked at that last week. Very instrumental. Then we saw that Jesus uh, took Peter, uh, took, uh, then said that Jesus had to suffer and die. Uh, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, that's never going to happen to you. Now he gets an F. Now he failed. Uh, now there's a lot more to be learned, to be sure. But Jesus then moves on to his next subject, which is far more difficult. Matthew 16, 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and die. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And I went into that in great detail last week, and maybe you remember. Then Jesus issues a curious command. He tells them not to tell anyone that he's the Christ. We looked at that again uh, last week. But it's that curious command and other things that holds the passages together that we're going to look at this morning. And why I'm going to 17 verse 9. Because look at 17.9. The curious command. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Tell no one that I am the Christ. Now, tell no one about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Why would Jesus say that? I have a long introduction, long introduction, before I get there. But that's the heart of this matter. Why would Jesus say that? But before that, we're going to fly through this text. And uh, we are going to fly through this text. And so I say to you, um, be content that we're going to look at these things on a very surface level. And a word of caution. I'm going to make some observations, and as I do, you're going to be tempted to want to think about what I just said. I like this for something that's odd. Don't think about it. Okay? I, I don't want you to take five minutes to think about what I said and then lose what is coming after, because it builds on each other. Okay? So you know, try to remember and say, well, when I go home, I'll think about that, or I'll talk to him about that, or whatever. But, but move with me. Okay? Keep up. Keep up. Keep up. Keep disciplined okay? as we, we work through this process. So where we left off last week, the disciples were having a hard time accepting that Jesus had to suffer and die. Now Jesus introduces a much more difficult thought. Not only would Jesus have to suffer and die, but they would have to be willing to suffer and die as well. Notice verse 24. And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Another reason I chose to look at this in a cursory matter is to also gain perspective on the disciples. Realize that that statement just went totally over their head. 
realize that communicated almost nothing to them. Take up your cross and follow me. There was no cross yet for Jesus. They had not yet witnessed the crucifixion. Peter had just said, these things are never going to happen to you, Lord. Take up your cross and follow me. Just meant almost nothing at this point. But he's going to build on it. And that's how Jesus is training his disciples. That's how he's growing. He's putting these things out there and think about it. Okay? And they're going to have to gurgitate on this. But they don't get it. So we're going to move on. We're going to move on. However, the cross-bearing is well worth it. Verse 25, for whoever would lose his life, for, excuse me, for whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The reason that cross-bearing is worth it is because no one can save, preserve, keep their life anyway. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're afraid to serve Christ because you might die, guess what? You're going to die anyway. Okay? You're not going to preserve your life by not following Christ. Everybody in this room is going to die unless Christ returns before us. Whether you're serving Christ or not. So get out of your mind the idea that I'm going to avoid serving Christ at all costs so that I might not ask to be giving my life because we're all dying. We're all dying. But what is it about life that people want to keep that they will find in Jesus Christ? Notice verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now what in the world does that mean? Think about it. Jesus didn't explain that. He just said it. I sit and explain these things a lot of times. Normally I would sit here and spend probably 15 minutes on what it means. Jesus didn't pack anything. That's what he said, period. Now think if you're a disciple. Wow, what does that mean? Let's move on. What value is it if one would gain all the world that has to offer and lose their soul? Matthew 16, 26. For what profit, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If by not serving Christ you could have the whole world, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to get the whole world and not serve Christ? Remember, Christ is taken up onto a mountain. And the evil one comes to him and says, I'll give you everything if you'll just bow down and worship me. Most people sell their soul for much less than the world. We don't get everything. But some people are selling their soul in order to gain material possessions, different stuff, and, well... You can make the application because we're moving on. Okay. Uh, 
One will not lose out in following Christ. There is reward at the end that is better than anything else you can devote yourself to in this world. Verse 7. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. There's going to be a reward. No greater cause than following Christ. Let me submit to you no equal cause than to follow Christ. No greater need than to follow Christ. No equal need as to follow Christ. No greater reward than in following Christ. No equal reward in following Christ. For he for the Son of Man is coming with his angels and the glory of the Father, and then he will pray each person according to what he has done. That time of repayment, his future, it is directly associated with the kingdom. Verse 28, Truly I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That kingdom is the time of reward. That kingdom is when it pays off. That kingdom is when it makes everything right. That kingdom is when you have gained your life and everything you wanted in it. He says, there are some of you alive that are not going to taste death till you see the Son of Man in his kingdom. What in the world does that mean? When will they see it? The answer comes in our text. They see the man, Son of Man coming in his kingdom in the vision on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. The relationship of Jesus' teaching to the Mount of Transfiguration is significant. Notice verse 1. And after six days... After six days. What are the six days being numbered from? Answer, the time that he says to his disciples that there are some of you who are here that will see the kingdom, Son of Man coming in his kingdom before you die. Some of you are going to see Christ in his kingdom. Six days later. Six days later. Look what happens. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. It's only Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. Sometime, there are some of you, and he's only talking to his immediate disciples, some of you are going to see the kingdom. Six days later, He takes Peter, James, and John to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What that means, what that looks like. What did they see? We're still flying. What did they see? Number one, they saw Jesus gloriously transformed before their eyes. Verse two. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Literally, they saw Jesus in a new light. They saw Jesus in a glorious light. They saw Jesus in a way that they had never seen him before. They saw Jesus in his glory. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. You will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom 
He's coming in glory. They get to see the glory. Number two, they saw saints who had served the Lord alive and fellowshipping with Jesus. Verse three, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. They saw people alive and well fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. Moses who was dead, not gone. Moses, who was dead, alive. Elijah, who had been transported up into the presence of God, there fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. They saw that there is something more than this world and this life. They saw the reality of a life that continues on. They saw that this was a wonderful experience and place to be. Verse 4, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. This is great stuff. Wow. They saw it was a great place to be. They saw that this was a place they would like to remain. Verse 4, If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Boy, this would be a great place. Let's let's set up camp here. (laughs) Let's hang out. I like this. This is a place they wanted to remain. They saw the glory of the living God. Peter had said, when Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Got an A. But he didn't really know what that meant. They saw the living God. They saw the Father's glory. Verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. They heard the living God speak. And a voice from the cloud said, He was a living God. He spoke. So many times in the Old Testament... One of the ridicules of the idols was that they weren't alive. They could not speak. They could not walk. They could not move. They were dead. They were actually inanimate. They they weren't alive ever. They were stone. This was a living God. He spoke. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God is what he said. He said that Jesus was his Son. He said that Jesus was the Beloved One. He said that he was well pleased in Jesus. And they heard God the Father say, Listen to him. Listen to him. Now in the context, this is almost comical. This is almost funny. For notice the context. Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here? It's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
while he was speaking, the he is Peter. Peter is saying, Jesus, if you like, I'll build three structures for you. Now, the commentators all over the place about what these structures mean and everything, it doesn't matter because this is the point. He is wanting to serve Jesus. Saying, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go here and I'm going to, I'll build these three tabernacles. Let me, let me get going here. And God the Father interrupts and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Just shut up and listen. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to listen to my son. That's the most important thing you can do. Listen to him. So now, Peter is terrified of Jesus. Verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Wow. Now they're not, they're just falling on their face and and they're terrified. So what did they hear Jesus say? Listen to them. What did Jesus say? Verse 7. Rise and have no fear. Have no fear of me. Have no fear at all. People were not afraid of Jesus in his earthly ministry, and people are not afraid of Jesus today because they have not seen him in his glory. But when the disciples see Jesus in his glory and understand that he is the Son of God and that they are to listen to him, then all of a sudden they're terrified of Jesus. This is all preparation. All to learn that they're not to be afraid of dying. You want to be afraid of something? Be afraid of being in Jesus' presence in an unacceptable manner. You want to be afraid of something. Be afraid of thinking that your works and your service and your goodness is going to somehow make you acceptable to God. When you haven't listened to him. When you haven't understood who Jesus really is. He's teaching them that there's no reason to be afraid of death. You will continue on. You will be alive. You're going to fellowship with Jesus Christ and all these things. The lesson of the day is over. At least the formal instruction is, but the lesson has to go on and on. For Jesus gives a curious command, verse 9. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's all the introduction. Now the sermon starts. Uh, You're looking at your watch, maybe. Uh, So we're not going to sing the closing hymn, okay? Because I'm going to take the time. But I'm going to get through this as fast as I can. but, But hang with me. They were not to tell anyone that Jesus, they were not to tell anyone the vision that they had. Why not? It's the same three reasons that we saw last week, but the application is different. 
Number one, the time was not right. The time was not right because they lacked the spiritual maturity to share the reason that they were to have no fear. They weren't ready to tell people about this vision. Why weren't they ready? They would have boasted in the privilege that they enjoyed and made the other disciples feel inferior because they did not have such an experience. Right up until and during the Lord's Supper, the night before Jesus died, their focus was on the kingdom and their focus was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they were debating about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Just imagine Peter sharing with the others what he saw. You guys didn't get to see that. I did. There are only three of us there. Obviously, we're better than you are. Obviously, we are, we are on the inside. We, we, we are, we're Jesus' favorites. Uh, that didn't enter the discussion. Don't tell anyone. They weren't spiritually mature. Without the command to keep quiet about the vision, Peter would have wielded this as a sword to raise himself up to being the greatest among the apostles. The visions were given in order to strengthen the disciples, not to harm them. I'll unpack it more. Number two, they were not ready because they did not understand the reason that they were to have no fear. Peter was still very much afraid of dying and would be right up until the time of the crucifixion. The interesting thing was that he didn't think that he was afraid of dying, but he was. Peter comes a long, long way. As spiritually, we come a long way. There's progress. We're, We're on a journey. We don't learn everything all at once. And it's very helpful to follow the disciples on their journey. Peter comes a long way. First, Peter says to Jesus, when Jesus says that he must suffer many things and die, he says, that's never going to happen to you. You're never going to experience that. And he's got Satan's mindset. And Jesus says, "Uh, get thee behind me, Satan. He has a hard time imagining that Jesus is even going to suffer and die. Then to think that he's going to suffer and die, it He doesn't think that's going to happen. It's not going to happen. So Peter comes a long way. Mark 14.30. Jesus said to them at the Lord's Supper, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He contradicts Jesus. Jesus said, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But emphatically, the scripture says, with earnestness, I will not. I will not deny you. I'm ready to die with you. He still hadn't learned the simplest truth that God the Father revealed to him in that vision. Listen to him. Listen to him. 
Jesus is still arguing and contra- excuse me, Peter is still arguing and contradicting Jesus. I'm going to die. No, you won't. You're going to deny me. No, I won't. He hasn't learned to listen. We say that we listen, but do we? Peter knew that he should not be afraid. Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Peter knew that he shouldn't be afraid. And so, emphatically, he says, I will not deny you. I am not afraid. And interestingly enough, as far as Peter knew his own heart, that was true. Because Peter said, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You may think you feel that way, but Peter, you don't understand your own weakness. We must understand our own weakness and the things that we profess in our allegiances that we say that we have. He was not fearless. And let me tell you that there are cheap imitations of fearlessness that's not the real deal. It's not genuine. So let me distinguish from ingenuine fearlessness to real fearlessness. Number one, foolishness is often misunderstood as fearlessness. The person who denies the reality of the possibility of suffering and hardship as being part of the will of God is not fearless, they are foolish. Peter started off foolishly by saying, that's never going to be required of you, Jesus. There are a lot of people today running around saying that God is never going to require them to suffer. God is never going to require difficulty. The health and wealth gospel, that's not fearlessness, that's foolishness. The second distinguishing factor between fearlessness and ingenuine fearlessness is Spiritual naivete is not the same as fearlessness. Believing that Jesus will deliver me out of every trial and difficulty as long as I am truly committed to him is not fearlessness. That's immaturity. That's immaturity. And oftentimes that's mistaken for fearlessness. This belief that, you know, as long as I trust God, as long as I have faith, He's going to preserve me and he's going to keep me. He's going to watch over me. He's going to protect me. Now think about that for a moment. Fast forward to Peter. He's in the garden. Jesus is going to be arrested. There are soldiers that are gathered around to arrest Jesus. They're coming forward to take Jesus What does Peter do? Picks up a sword and smacks off Malcolm's ear. Does he not? 
Sure. Let me ask you, was he fearless? Was he fearless? Wasn't that a risky thing to do? Imagine a whole host here, single-handedly, taking on this army. Wow! Isn't that fearless? No. Why wasn't that fearless? Because he believed that nothing was going to happen to him. Jesus would protect him. His understanding of the kingdom. His understanding of what God would do. He's not going to let anything happen to me. And here's the irony of it. Here's the really interesting part. God doesn't let anything happen to Peter. Jesus intervenes. Jesus picks up that ear, puts it back on his guy's head, and says to the soldiers, take me and leave them alone. He protects them. He watches over them. Wasn't Peter's faith vindicated? Didn't his faith deliver him? No, it didn't. Didn't his commitment to Christ and being willing to yield a a sword and to take on a whole army single-handedly, didn't that deliver him? No! What delivered him? The purpose and will of God. It wasn't time for Peter to die. But he's going to die. He's going to die. And Peter is going to become fearless. I want you to see that. The third reason that they were not ready to share the vision is because the time was not ready in the purpose of God. Matthew 17, 9. And there was coming down the mountain Jesus commanded, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Then you can talk about it, but don't talk about it till then. I want you to go with me to 2 Peter and look at how this vision is now used. When Peter communicates this vision after the resurrection, I want to to note some very important things. And I'll I'll give you a heads up, because I'm going to go over, and you might get nervous, and you're going to wonder, how much over is he going to be? And I think, by my watch, I will be done by 7 after. So please, it's Fellowship Sunday, uh, so I'll let you know, okay, so... We're moving on and don't get too worried. But note the difference in Peter after the resurrection and the use of this this vision. Peter is ready not to use the vision to promote himself, but to be helpful to others. Number one, the people need to be prepared to die. Look at 2 Peter 1.10. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself to enter the kingdom. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. Peter has learned that just because you know something doesn't mean you don't have to be reminded. Just because you know something doesn't mean it really has grabbed your heart. Just because you know something doesn't mean there isn't more to know. And Peter says, I keep bringing these same things up so that you'll be prepared. Because Peter had to hear the same thing over and over and over again. The context is Peter's own death. Verse 13. Christ had revealed to Peter that he was to die. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up you by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. God has made it clear to me that I'm going to die. The spiritual growth here is seen in that now he listens. He accepts the fact that he is going to die. And he uses this opportunity to make the most of the time that he has. As long as I'm still alive. Christ has revealed to me I'm about to die. I'm about about ready to leave. Not saying this will never happen to me. Not saying my faith is going to deliver me. He accepts the fact that he's going to die. Verse 15. I will make every effort so that after my departure... You may be able at any time to call these things. Just a word, I can't develop it here, but the word for departure is exodus. Exodus. This is my exodus. When Peter, excuse me, when Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus on the, on the mountain, you know what they were talking about? His death. And the scripture says in the book of Luke, they were talking about his departure, exodus. Moses is there. They're talking about the Exodus. Interesting stuff. I can't go there. Okay. Now Peter speaks of the vision of the transfiguration of Jesus. Verses 16, 17, and 18. For we did, know, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the mount. And now what he says is quite amazing. But what you have is better than what I had. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed. He says to these people, the word of God is more valuable to you than this experience that I had. Wow. That's not the message that Peter would have given when he first came off that mount. Peter says, James and John were with me, and we were with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Wow. Too bad you weren't there. 
Too bad you had to miss out. Too bad you're not one of the really beloved ones of God. But we got to see the vision. You didn't. No. Now he's using the vision to strengthen the brethren. Not to cause division. Not to elevate himself. And interestingly, to elevate the word of God. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention to that word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Pay attention. Listen to it. Listen to the word of God. Knowing this first, of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen to the word, for in listening to the word, you're listening to the Holy Spirit. So many people want some kind of experience where, if only God would speak to me, if only I could have been on the mount, if only I could have heard the voice of God, it would make the difference. It didn't make the difference in Peter's life. He came down, he was still afraid. He came down, he was still immature. He came down, he still needed to listen. It's not a voice from heaven we need. It's need to understand that the word of God is the word of God. It is the scripture. It is the truth. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And we have to listen to it. Not argue with it, not debate it, but listen to it. And listen to it time and time again. Because we don't get it the first time. You don't get anything that you learn in life that's worthwhile the first time. It's got to grow. It's got to develop. Spiritual maturity is a development. So take heed to what you hear. Conclusion. We have to remind ourselves of the same truths over and over again. Running them through our mind. Each time we will grow in our understanding. Each time they will help us in the process of becoming more mature in our faith. Each time we will be understanding the purpose of God as to what he is doing in our lives and the world. The word of God provides understanding. An understanding greater than what Peter had as a result of the vision. An understanding that comes through the Holy Spirit as the scriptures are given. Peter was not ready to suffer and die before the resurrection, but after the resurrection he is. He's ready to meet death head on fearlessly. Not denying its reality. Not trusting in the fact I'm going to be delivered from it in this world but trusting that to give one's life is worth it. And there's an eternal life to follow. And God revealed to him, Peter, you're going to die. And Peter chooses to die on a cross and requests that he die upside down because he does not believe that he is worthy to die in the way in which Jesus died. That's growth. That's maturity. That's when he's ready to share the vision. 
We should not deny our fear. In fact, we should worry if we're not afraid of dying. Now, that may sound odd. Worry about not being afraid to die. Yeah. Because if we're not afraid to die, there's something wrong with us. If we're not afraid to die, have we really come to grips with the reality? Or are we trusting in some kind of false deliverance? You know, God is never, ever going to ask me to do something in which I'm going to have to die. Or, if God places me in harm's way, he's going to put a hedge and protection around me, and he will see me through, and I'll be okay. But to really come to grips with, I'm going to die. That should shake us to our bones. And if it doesn't, we are in the same place that Peter was when he said, I will never deny you. I will never succumb in this way. It's a self-sufficiency. What we need to say is, by the grace of God, God will give me the grace to experience death in such a way that he can be honored and glorified. It's not to be fearless in who we are or our experience. The fearlessness comes only in relationship to God and what he's able to do for us. As followers of Christ, we experience what Jesus experienced in his life and in his death the hard and the good. As we share in the sufferings of death, we also share in the resurrection. We need to focus on the eternal kingdom and its blessedness for the followers of Christ. What do we learn about that kingdom? We learn that it's a good place. We learn that it's a place that we want to be. We learn that it's a place where there's fellowship with Jesus Christ and with the saints that have gone on before. We learn that we're going to fellowship with Christ forever we learn that it's a place where in the revealing of the glory of Jesus, there is no reason to be afraid. Nothing to be afraid of in standing in God's presence. Nothing to be afraid of in relationship to Jesus Christ. Nothing to be afraid of in front of this world. And we are to learn how terribly awful it's going to be when Jesus Christ is revealed and not to be accepted by him. That's a terrifying experience when Peter and the others fell on their face. But we're going to be accepted. And we need to understand that our world today doesn't see Christ in his glory. They don't see him in his majesty and in power. As a result, they don't fear. And they don't worry about the life to come. And none of that has any impact. But one day, they're going to see Christ in his glory. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. So what does commitment look like? What does it mean to follow him? And our weakness through his strength, through death into the eternal kingdom. To follow Christ means that we follow Christ into death and the glorious resurrection. That is what will enable us to carry our cross. So what does it mean to bear our cross? That cross may be working through a troubled marriage. That cross may be a physical 
hardship like Paul's when he prayed three times for God to remove it. That cross might be financial hardship. That cross may be a miserable workplace. Take up your cross and follow me today. And that cross ultimately is going to be death. A death that you can't escape. Though you try to keep your life, you can't. One day, all of us are going to die. And our cross is that in our death, we stay true to God. We reveal the glory of God in the way in which we exalt God by believing that the life to come is far better. Do you understand why I wish we would sing sing, uh, Imagine now. Do you understand why I, I said, wow, that about the kingdom, what it's really like that we sang in the second last thing? About how the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, that I wouldn't be afraid. I know I went wrong. Thank you for bearing with me. But people, what is your cross? What are you bearing today that's hard, it's difficult? How can Christ be glorified in the way that you respond to it? How can the hope and promise of a coming kingdom help you today in the cross that you're bearing? How can it make a difference? May God reveal to us the glory of Jesus Christ not in some vision, in the word of God. May that word of God nourish us, equip us, ready us for what God calls us to do. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus in his glory. Lord, help the word of God to come alive to us. Help us to realize that just as Peter, the first time we hear these things, We think we know them. The second time, the third time, may we never close our eyes. May we never think that we've heard enough. May we not just be satisfied with busying ourselves in the service of God, but may we take time to listen to Jesus. May we take time to reflect on the word of God. May it grow us. May we be humbled. May we think Maybe we understand we don't know as much as we think we do. We haven't grown as far as we we ought to grow. Lord, if, if we aren't afraid, teach us to be afraid. Teach us our need of you. Teach us our inadequacy. Teach us your majesty, your glory. Help us this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you're dismissed.